The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown to zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the ZWC. Today, we're speaking with Ed Kolodze. He's the associate professor at the University of Washington in Tacoma at the Center for Urban Waters. Welcome to the show, Ed. Oh, thank you very much. Um, It's a, a really nice invitation. I'm happy to be here. Well, what a wild thing we've just discovered. I couldn't believe it. Uh, so basically, you were part of a study um, that has found that there are parts of car tires that are actually leading to uh, re- reduction of a lot of wild salmon, right, in urban areas. Uh, so we're going to talk all about that study and find out some information on it. And uh, let's start with your job and how are you involved with this study? Yeah, so... um I have been up here at the University of Washington in both Tacoma and Seattle campuses for about six years now. And what I really do for my day job is water quality analysis. Um, I go out in the environment and I basically try to track chemicals around the environment, especially chemicals that are bad for fish. That's kind of been a common theme to the, the work I've done. And I got here to UW in 2014 and everybody was talking about stormwater, especially this situation where it seemed like fall rainstorms were killing coho salmon from something in the stormwater, and they didn't know what was causing it, right? Uh, it, it was thought to be a water quality problem, but they didn't know why. So that was just a really interesting, intellectually engaging and important problem that definitely got my attention. Mm-hmm. And what's really cool is that you you guys out there identified the problem. You had no idea, I don't think, what it was. And you actually found it, right? Did anyone Was anyone guessing that it could have been tires or was this a surprise? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the first thing I'd like to say about that is that people have been working on this for like more than 20 years now. And it, wow. in fact, the first observations of coho dying from like stormwater came in the 1980s up in Bellingham, Washington, right on the Canada-US border. And uh, so it's clear like people had been seeing for a long time that there was an issue. And then in the 90s, Seattle put money toward urban creek restorations where they wanted salmon to come back. And people started to notice that coho salmon came back, but when it rained, they died. And Mm -hmm. so there was a pretty much been a really big and really good team of researchers working on this for like 20 years now. And they they documented that it was real, that it was happening every year, you know, that it happened in a whole bunch of watersheds. This wasn't just one place. It was like multiple creeks. And they figured out, you know, over time, it wasn't like pathogens or dissolved oxygen or ammonia, all these things you might expect could kill fish. And so, you know, it was thought to be just something else. And so I came to UW and we just kind of turned on our instrument and started trying to measure chemicals in water when these events happened and over six years of work that just kept leading us closer and closer to like tire rubber chemicals and so that's really how we got to like the tire part of this 
Wow, that's that's pretty cool. I had no idea that it was going on for so long. Like that's okay. So the eighties, yeah. So that's like forty years of of this being a problem. Um, so not not very good. So let's go back to the declining numbers of salmon. So what kind of numbers are you seeing decline? Like, is this going to wipe out the population? And I think it's only coho, right? Is it other forms of salmon that this has been a problem with? Yeah. So. The first thing I'd say is coho salmon definitely seem to be the most sensitive species of salmon with respect to this particular stormwater, you know, urban runoff problem. For example, chum salmon come back sometimes at the same time as coho salmon so that there's times when they're both populations of salmon are in these creeks and rivers and it rains and the coho salmon die and the chum salmon don't. So this is definitely a case where like not all species respond to water quality problems or chemical pollution the same way. And so we mm-hmm. definitely see that here. With respect to its impact on populations, you know, in general, organisms, especially aquatic organisms, don't do well when there's a lot of people around, right? Like this is a global pattern. It's sometimes called like urban stream syndrome. The more people that are around, you know, the more organisms seem to disappear from the habitats near us. And wrapping back to the the coho salmon, you know, this water quality issue, some of the work done by the NOAA National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration at the National Marine Fisheries Service, they did some population modeling where in some of the most impacted watersheds where 40% or 60% or 90% of the coho salmon are dying from this phenomena before they get a chance to reproduce, Generally, you'd result that would result in like localized extinction, like the the coho salmon just disappear from a certain watershed over like ten to thirty year timescales. Does the percentage go up if the city is denser? So, like, would Seattle have the worst morbidity numbers, and then kind of maybe Tacoma would be second, and then as the cities get smaller, it would be less worse? It, it seems to be like watershed specific, and again. Um, mm. That NOAA team published a great paper in 2018 that kind of did all this like watershed modeling where they looked at the observed rates of mortality in different watersheds and they correlated them to all these parameters like population and tree cover and how many roads there were, how much traffic there was. And in general, they found a pretty good correlation between like human intensity, like more people around, there was more of this issue. And the more impervious surfaces, right, the more kind of like concrete and pavement you had around, the worse the issue was and the more traffic there was. You know, the more busy roads were in the watershed, the higher the percentage of salmon died from the stormwater mortality. So there were definitely these correlations of like more people, more cars, more houses, more things, less salmon. I wonder too if the you said like the cement and uh, the like asphalt and stuff, I wonder if that would channel the the chemicals more and run them off more than say like a dirt and gravel road i don't know because I mean, maybe the dirt and gravel i mean that, that's a you know human human settlements change hydrology right and one of the one one yeah. of the ways they change hydrology is like you know out in the forest the rain falls and it hits the ground and it soaks in but on a city or a suburban community or a little town that same rainfall hits the roof of your house and runs to the gutter and then maybe down your driveway onto the road or it hits mm. the road and ends up in the storm drainage system, which then like pumps it out to the nearest river or on, if you're on the coast, you know, out into the ocean. 
And so yeah. that there's definitely a really clear pathway to like pick up chemicals from all kinds of sources along the way and discharge them to water. And so that that definitely happens in cities. I find our our human ways of managing water is so fascinating. Like when you look thousands of years ago at the Roman aqueducts, and then I've been in uh, in the jungle, like Central American jungles, and seen the the stonework uh, uh, through the, kind of through the mountains that they used for drainage. Um, and it's it's pretty cool to see. And then my ancestors are Irish. So when they came to Canada in 1842, they settled on a pretty like kind of swampy area and they had a clear fields and they set up these canals. So they had hundred acre farms and then they did canals all between the farms. And now that those are kind of gone, right? We don't farm as much. You can see some of them left. They're like little ditches. So you can barely see them at all, right? They've totally kind of returned nat to the natural landscape. Uh, but then people have uh, some flooding issues and there's water laying where you don't want it to lay. And so I find it fascinating that I don't know. Somehow back in the 1840s, uh, the Irish knew how to channel the water properly so they could use it for animals and they could use it um, to to make sure their fields weren't flooded and and that sort of thing. And it'd be interesting to see like the environmental impacts of that. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah we, we've had, you know, humans as a whole over many, many thousands of years. Uh, water is a big deal for us, just like, you know, many, many other organisms, a huge deal. And so we definitely, you know, move it to where we need it to be able to have water to drink, especially in dry areas. And then in wet areas, we often move it around to maybe grow crops or to water crops. That's definitely had some impacts on the organisms and watersheds. And, you know, the way things would work if humans weren't around has definitely changed or is different. Big time. Yeah. And especially I know the Pacific Northwest because I used to go to school at the University of Victoria. So I lived in BC for 13 years. So just above you in, in Tacoma. Um, and uh, there's a big movement, it seems, to remove dams from like the Oregon and, and Washington state area. I don't know if you, you've seen that happening, but I think that's pretty cool because uh, sometimes nutrients can be blocked, right, from coming up the ocean. Uh, we always think of nutrients going downstream, but it sounds like nutrients can go upstream too, like through the food chain, right? I find that pretty neat. Yeah, for, for sure. You know, dam removal changes hydrology, you know, like natural systems are adapted to have floods happen. Salmon are, you know, adapted to be able to swim way up into these tiny watersheds to reproduce and, you know, create the next generation. Mm -hmm. um, and dams have definitely altered that, uh, both going up and coming down and change the temperature of the water and, you know, what the chemistry of the water looks like and how nutrients move around. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're definitely experimenting with dam removal in some watersheds for sure. Yeah, it's neat to see for sure. And then Ian McAllister is a wolf researcher in BC and uh, they, they, I've went to his presentation before and they talk about how the wolves and the bears actually use the salmon to like fertilize the forest because they're when, what you said with the salmon swimming upstream to those like, you know, really high streams, uh, those nutrients actually even get into the, the forest because the animals are, are, are fishing for them. So I think that's a neat natural process as well. Yeah, there's a lot of amazing things out in the environment. And, you know, speaking of, you know, salmon, you know, I should say it this way, trees are part salmon as well. And I know there was a, a UW study up in Alaska where I think they, they took the dead salmon after they 
spawn. You know, Pacific salmon, they run up into the creeks and then they die after they reproduce. And that's what kind of fertilizes the next generation of young salmon. But it also fertilizes the forest. And I know there was some UW study up in Alaska where I think they took those dead salmon, they threw them all to one side of the creek. So they threw them for like decades. They threw them only on like the right side, the right bank of the creek or something like that. And the forest was like substantially healthier and like better on the side that they threw the salmon over to versus the other side. That's amazing. Yeah. So I think there's some data out there that says that's more important than you might think. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's go back to your study a little bit because uh, I'm not a scientist myself, but I did take some science in my undergrad. So I do have an inkling of of what what you scientists do. Uh, So if you want to explain it to me like I'm five, tell me a little bit about the study. Uh, So you found 6-PPD, right? So that's the, the chemical that we're talking about that is hurting the fish. Um, so can you tell us how you isolated that and, and what was that process? Yeah. So, I mean, if science is nothing else, it's a process, right? Science is a process of like learning about a system, uh, generating data to help you be able to predict or understand kind of what's going on. And so we started working in like the urban stormwater water quality, seeing what kind of chemicals were in the water when these mortality events were happening with the coho salmon. And then I have an ecotoxicologist collaborator, Jen McIntyre. She's at Washington State University. And by 2017, Jen had shown that, you know, Jen tested a whole bunch of different chemical sources to roadway runoff. It's like, if you think about a, a busy highway, right? It's not just tire, little bits of tires that wear off your tires that are on that highway, but there's like, a little bit of motor oil spills on the highway. There's some antifreeze. If a car overheats, that antifreeze gets there. You know, a little bit of like windshield washer fluid, all these things like that. And so Jen figured out that it was only the tire rubber leachate, you know, water that just touched these tire particles. That was the only source that was uh, lethal to the coho salmon. So um, once we kind of knew there was something toxic in the, in the tire rubber bits themselves, We set on this like multi-year process of like manipulating the chemicals in there, like fraction, it's called fractionation, right? And in doing that, we learned more and more about what the chemical was. And, you know, it took years of that to get to like this compound 6-PPD, which is a preservative in tires. And what we essentially figured out is that all tires need chemical preservatives in them. You know, the same way that, you know, food you buy in the store, lots of it has a preservative in it to make sure it stays good until you're ready to eat it. Tires need a preservative so they last like 50,000 miles and they're safe for people and they're durable and they're just like a really highly engineered product. And we figured out that this preservative chemical, the 6-PPD, when it reacts with ozone, it creates a molecule that's very toxic to the coho salmon. And that's, that's essentially what our science process was and it, it maybe sometimes it seems simple when you finally figure it out, but generally getting there takes a lot of hard work and time and effort. And I, I had a wonderful research team in my lab and, you know, many other people in, you know, several labs helping to kind of like get us to understanding that it was this reaction of like 6-PPD and ozone, which created this toxic chemical. So the, the actual thing that's killing the fish 
really, you could say tire companies aren't putting that in the, their tires. They're putting something in their tires, and then that reaction with that to uh, ozone, right? Um, yeah, is creating and- a new substance that is harmful to the fish. Yeah. So a toxicologist would call six PPD uh, a protoxicant, right? It's like it's uh, a it's like a chemical parent of something that's the toxic or the highly the, the more highly toxic compound. And six PPD is actually in your tires to react with ozone. So, you know, tires along with many other rubbers are really susceptible to the super trace concentration of ground level ozone. All of us breathe in a little bit of ozone, right? There's a, a tiny little concentration of ozone in the air near the ground. And if a tire doesn't have a preservative chemical, that ozone actually breaks apart the rubber molecules and your tire will start to crack and become weaker. Like, so if you ever see something like old rubber is all cracked and like broken up, lots of that is from the ozone. And so 6PPD is put in there because it reacts with the ozone faster than the ozone reacts with the rubber right it kind of it kind of protects the tire it blocks the ozone from getting into the tire and breaking down those rubber bonds it sounds like somebody did a really good job finding this out like it sounds like a really good invention but then now we're finding out that uh it's really affecting the salmon right well it's a necessary invention you know i i you know tires need these preservative chemicals in them it's yeah. just a question of like which ones we use, right? And kind of like how much we put in there, what, you know, there's actually other ones in there as well, right? There's a whole mixture of chemicals designed to make your tires durable and strong. And um, 6PPD is just one of the more abundant ones because that reaction with ozone is one of the more important like degradation or decay reactions for rubber tires. Okay, so I want to ask a question that probably makes me sound stupid, but so I noticed in the study that it's called an antioxidant, like 6PPD is an antioxidant, right? Yeah, So that means it's it's preventing the oxidization, right? Yeah, I mean, ozone's an oxidant, right? Ozone, Mm -hmm. you know, lots of us are familiar with antioxidants, kind of in terms of like human health or our bodies, right? We, We want to eat antioxidants so we don't get cancer or, you know, so we stay healthy. But we don't want to um, eat 6PPD. So what's what's that difference there? That's what I was wondering. <laughs> well, um, it's just kind of like, you know, our cells need different types of antioxidants because some of the chemistries are different. What antioxidants are in our cell is different than the ones like out in the air, right? So, and, you know, we're not an engineered kind of like chemical product either, like the way a rubber product is. So, yeah, so lots of organisms, lots of products need antioxidants to prevent these like degradation reactions, these decay reactions. And it's even, you know, lots of the preservatives in food are actually antioxidants. So your food doesn't oxidize and break down and, you know, decay in like caloric value. So um, 6PPD does the same thing for tires. So what can we do about this? Is there any hope? Is there a way that we could replace 6PPD with something else? Because we know it's so important for tires or is there a way to like catch it or something? Is there, what can we do here? Well, I mean, you know, there's, there's always hope. I'll start with that. Right. So I think we have to start from this like foundation of good, strong hope. So I'm hopeful over time that we can figure out how to make tires that are like really safe for people, super durable, you know, work great, get great gas mileage, last a long time. And at the same time, they're also safe for the environment. I think, you know, we can definitely 
use our science tools. We can use our research capabilities to understand, hey, we have all these different chemicals that we can use as antioxidants, which ones actually work the best to help protect that tire and are okay for fish and coho salmon. So I'm pretty hopeful we can actually kind of maybe understand what the possibilities are to help us make decisions about how we build our consumer products and what we build them out of. But even right now, even with the tires we have, we can also do a better job treating roadway runoff and stormwater runoff. Mm -hmm. You know, my instrument sees hundreds and thousands of chemicals in stormwater. So this stormwater is a super complex chemical mixture. Mm -hmm. um, it has sublethal impacts. You know, it, Jen McIntyre knows that it, it, it harms fish in multiple ways, even without killing them, right? It makes them, they don't grow as well. Mm -hmm. Their lateral line doesn't develop correctly. Their heart doesn't work correctly. And so things like stormwater treatment, which are already available, they actually protect aquatic organisms, not just coho salmon, but all the things that live in our waters from this like complex chemical mixture. And, but these uh, are so small. So, so there is stormwater filtration that will prevent such small, tiny chemicals. Cause I know even sometimes like in city drinking water, you can find a lot of little teeny tiny things that make it through that process. Right. Yeah. There are many ways we have, to treat chemicals, including, for example, in the case of stormwater, just passing that stormwater through dirt. I mean, that actually protects the coho salmon, that it totally keeps them safe because that dirt kind of soaks up lots of the toxic chemicals. It doesn't remove all of them, right? There's still some that go through the dirt. They don't really interact with like the soil at all, but a lot of other ones stick and therefore that water gets cleaner. And, it, you know, it's the same thing if you were like, you mentioned you've visited a tropical area or you've been to the jungle, right? If there's some water you were concerned about drinking because it like didn't look good or didn't smell quite right. If you took that and like just passed it through soil, it would probably look a lot better. It might smell a lot better. It would probably be less potential to like harm you or make you sick. Mm -hmm. And that type of treatment capability is well known to help water quality and fix a lot of pollution problems. So that that works for stormwater as well. Yeah. Yeah. The Pacific Northwest is such a beautiful, special area. And it can be quite crazy to to go see how big the cities have gotten up there. Some of them are pretty, pretty big and really developed, right? And so I hope that we can develop, you know, good places for humans to live that also allow us to uh to have nature, you know, do well too. It would be pretty amazing to have fish run up in the the city and, and stuff like that. But it's, it is quite a challenge for sure. So have you worked on any other related studies? Because this one, I just find this fascinating that you guys were able to find it. And like you said, sorry, before we get to the question, like you said, like you have hope. And I just want to say thank you for that because I'm trying to focus on season four of the show on hope and not having this like doom and gloom, we're all going to perish attitude because I, I don't think that's true. And I think we can, we just all have to work, right? We have to put in the work to make the earth clean and reduce our emissions and this sort of thing. Um, so I really like that you are hopeful as a scientist that we can, uh, you know, you, you identified a problem, you found out what it was and 
and maybe we can we can solve it right even if it's just with some dirt that sometimes the solutions can be pretty simple right i think that's amazing um but i yeah so back to the question uh are you working on any other related studies yeah so um you know anytime you find a chemical that kind of nobody's been working on or nobody's been paying attention to before there's always a lot of work to do right so we need to understand kind of like where this chemical occurs in the environment, how much of it is there, like how quickly it degrades away, um, how we can best operate a treatment system to remove it and kind of keep that water clean. So we have all these follow-up type studies to do on this toxic chemical. My lab, and I know other labs globally, you know, will be busy with that in the coming years. And, you know, we're not going to get answers right away. Science always takes time to do, but we're going to figure out all those types of things. And I'm sure at the same time, people will start looking at other species of fish and kind of see how they're impacted and understand like how this toxic chemical works. We've also too been interested in thinking about like, actually when we're done using tires, lots of our tire is still there. And so tire recycling and kind of what we do with these tires when we're done with them on our cars is actually a big problem for people globally. And um, for example, many of us might have played on playgrounds filled filled with those little crumb rubber bits, which are like recycled tire pieces. And so we also want to try and understand like how those crumb rubber playing fields, like if some of these toxic chemicals are there and kind of what what's happening in that kind of system as well. As well as I think just understanding like all these chemicals that we see in roadway runoff that nobody really knows what they are. There's just a lot of work needed to do to just understand what's there. Mm -hmm, Um, Absolutely. I also think back to, I used to sail around the San Juan Islands when I was in BC and I'm just thinking of all the tires I saw on the sides of boats and on the sides of docks too, right? So tires are typically used on jetties to uh to prevent like boat damage as you're coming alongside right yeah so i I Um, wonder if that has yeah uh... i mean that you know the reuse and recycling of tires there are many ways it's done you know like um everybody knows it's probably a bad idea just to like use that tire and you you know you buy a 20 pound tire and then you use up like a pound or two of it when you drive on it and then you throw it away into the landfill And so people are trying to like chop up those tires and put them into roadways, like to mix them into the asphalt. There's tires that are recycled even into stormwater treatment systems. So they're actually like passing stormwater through them to remove metals that kind of stick to the rubber. So they're removing, Um, they're removing metals, but adding the six PPD probably. I think, I think they probably are. Um, Yeah. So there's issues like that. We got to figure out and kind of work on. Mm -hmm. Um, we're chopping the tires up into those like crumb rubber playing fields. And then there are places like, I know places in Seattle where, you know, they took all these tires and they literally made like retaining walls on the river or these like, you know, they use the tires to make like walls in the river to help with flood control and erosion. Right. So they're like, you know, basically putting tens or hundreds of tires into the water kind of to help stabilize the bank. But that, of course, you know, you, you kind of make like a, a tire rubber tee uh, just downstream from that. And that, yeah, we just need to understand what's in that a little better. That Yeah, that's crazy. Like, sometimes, yeah, I find too, sometimes when we try to help, sometimes we can make things worse. So if ever I try to jump on a bandwagon of to like 
protest something or whatever, right? I'm always like, you know, am I really on the right side of things here? I always ask myself that just to to make sure, right? Because sometimes good intentions have uh, have bad consequences sometimes that you just don't know about, right, later. But uh, the last question I had for you, Ed, was uh, what got you interested in, in rivers and, and salmon and that sort of thing? Well, I, I grew up in New Hampshire, so I'm, I'm from New England. And um, yeah, my, my grandfathers both love being outside. They both love going fishing. And um, lots of people in my family just kind of went fishing. So I I kind of grew up fishing with my grandfathers and spending time on the water and, you know, just love being out there, love the outdoors, love those fish. And I was good at math and chemistry. So I kind of took this track of understanding what chemicals are out in the environment and how I might be able to help problem solve as an engineer, you know, to maybe hopefully fix some of these problems we've created often accidentally and unintentionally out in the environment that are harming fish like salmon. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you for this. Thank you for all the work that you do. Uh, this has been an amazing conversation and uh, I hope that we do figure out the best, the best thing to do with tires. So thank you very much, Ed. Oh, thanks for having me on. Awesome. That was Ed Kaloje. He's the Associate Professor at the University of Washington in Tacoma at the Center for Urban Waters. Just want to give a big thanks to the show's current sponsor, Do South. That's D-E-W, DoSouth.ca. It's a online shop where you can find all your zero waste needs. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. <laughs>